Hello there, this is Lisa Borders, and on this podcast, I'll connect with people from all walks of life. We'll talk about overcoming adversity, transmuting the shadow, and moments of illumination. We'll explore what it means to fulfill our potential while maintaining our most authentic selves. And we'll reflect on the lessons we're learning all along the way. If you feel inspired by what you hear, subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the community at lisaborders.us. Thank you for joining me, and this is Enlightened. Hello, folks. Lisa Borders here. I am so thrilled to bring you a good friend today. Let me just take that back. She's not a friend. She's like a daughter. She's one of my daughters from the W, Renee Montgomery in the house. What's good, Renee? What's up, auntie? Yes, we're family. We don't do that friend thing. We are family. Absolutely. So delighted to have you here. So thank you for the time. Let's get into it. Everybody's reading everything about Renee Montgomery, but they think they know because they read a headline and have one story. But I want you to give us some backstory on who is Renee Montgomery. Now, you and I met when I had the privilege of leading the W and you were playing. You are now retired, but have so much perspective. I want to go all the way back to UConn because you're part of that dynasty coming out of Connecticut and won a national championship in 2009. How'd you decide to do the UConn thing? Because you're from West Virginia originally, right? Yes, ma'am. I'm from West Virginia and that's how I decided to do UConn thing. I knew that I was from a small area of the country and I wanted people to be able to see what I'm doing. We were playing in West Virginia. I had a teammate, Alexis Hornbuckle, and we just felt like a lot of people didn't know what we were doing in West Virginia because we weren't the New York team. We weren't the California teams. We weren't those big Atlanta teams. We felt like we were getting lost in the shuffle. And so when I had the opportunity to choose a university, I wanted to go somewhere where we wouldn't get lost in the shuffle. I went pretty big and went with <laughs> UConn, and they have powerhouse. But the reason that I chose UConn was more so about the coaches than the university. I know a lot of times when people pick their schools, maybe not athletes, because athletes we choose for sports reasons, but a lot of times people look at the area, the university. I was living in Storrs, Connecticut, so there wasn't (laughs) much there to, to be looking towards, but it was all about basketball to me. That's so fabulous. You were focused on basketball right there from the beginning. And I know you wore number 20 and you have this affinity for 20. How did you pick your number? Give us some insight into how athletes do that because they get so connected to the number. And I know you wore 20. Yeah, it's interesting because I always like hearing athlete stories about their numbers as well. And I think to myself, why don't I have one of those stories? Because I don't. It's just I chose number 20. It's just I picked that number, and I'm a really routine person, so this is how ridiculous it is. I got number 20, and that was my number. And so next year, I was like, oh, is number 20 available still? And then it just kept on carrying over like that. When I got to UConn, number 20 was not available. So me just being chill, I'm like, all right, is 21 available? I just went one up and just, is 21 available? And then the rest was history. That's how I became number 21 in the pros. But it really just started as I am a creature of habit. So 
if I sit somewhere the same, I'll do it the same way every time. I know people hear about this with athletes that we have our routines. I'm one of those who like the ump degree. It's ridiculous. Look, I understand <laughs> that you were wearing 21 when I met you. So I was like, I know she was 20 at one point. How'd she get to 21? So that's good to understand. So let's pull that forward. 2020 last year when everything was a little bit crazy that is the number or the moniker for perfect vision 2020 but it was really not perfect in the traditional sense but perhaps it was perfect to open our eyes to many of the things that were going on in the world now you played in the w from 2009 until 2020 you didn't play in the 2020 season and i want to talk about that how you made the decision we all know the pandemic was going on we all know social justice issues were right in the forefront the george floyd murder Talk about the decision you made not to play and to focus on social justice. Yeah, that decision was tough because I've been playing basketball since I can remember. I started out young at five and it was everything. I talked about it. My whole goal was when I was younger, at five, there wasn't a WNBA, just to put it in perspective for people. We're celebrating our 25th anniversary, or our 25th season, and I'm 34 going on 35, so you do the math, the WNBA didn't come around until I was like 10. So when I was younger and I was working out, it was to get a D1 scholarship. That was the epitome of women's basketball to me at the time. And then as I got older, I started to be like, wow, I can make a career out of this. This is crazy that I might be able to play basketball as my actual job. That's a wild thing to think about considering I love it and I would play it for free. So when I had all those thoughts going through my mind, I had a vision of what I saw the WNBA as I saw it as this place like the NBA where athletes can go on and live out their dreams in the professional level in America because there was already professional sports overseas and then when you start to think about all those things that I was thinking about dreaming of when I was younger and we get to the 2020 season I said that so that people could understand how difficult it was for me to opt out everything I had done since I was young was to get here so for me to separate myself from that it was tough but when I started to look at everything that was going on, George Floyd was murdered, Ahmaud Arbery, I'm like, this is not okay. We talked about this is not the perfect world that I want to be living in. So I just started to think, like, what can I do? And maybe me being a point guard, maybe being an athlete, I felt like I can take control of my situation. And we always say in sports, control your controllables. And so I thought that was me controlling my controllables. And I can control whether I play or not. I can control what I talk about. I can control my own narrative. So I did. I love that. All right. Thank you for bringing me up to speed. I know you were in Atlanta when you made that decision. I remember reading about you calling your mom and saying things are like unsettled, unstable, not just in the world, but right here at the cradle of the civil rights movement. Tell us if you could, not to invade on your privacy, but what was that conversation like with mom? What kind of download did she give you to sort of get you re-grounded and rooted in, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to play. I'm going to step away and do more. My snookabooka, that's what I call my mom, snook and diddy. So that's my mom and dad. (laughs) So I call snook and diddy. When anything's going on crazy in my life, I call my parents. I'm one of those that we talk all day, every day. I'm very tapped in and tuned in to what they think because I'm a firm believer that people that have been there before, I want all the wisdom they got. I want all the opinions. I want to hear everything they think because they have more life experience than me. So I called my parents 
when there were protests going on right outside my door. I live very close to Phipps Plaza, and that's the area that, if people recall, where the protests happened. And so I'm looking out my window, what should I do? I just really didn't know what to do. Should I leave? Should I go stay at my friend's house who doesn't live near downtown? Should I just chill out and go to West Virginia? You got to remember, we're in a pandemic right now, so it's not like I was working or I had obligations. So I just called them to see, help me, what should I do? And my snook was like so calm and it was blowing my mind because she was just, oh, baby, don't worry. When people don't feel that their voices are heard, they have to make it felt. And she was like, you're fine, you're good. There's no problem, you're good, don't worry. And so her calmness just made me relax a little bit. And I was like, that stuck with me so much because for me to go to them with the energy that I had, usually everybody's up in arms because I don't even usually get any type of energy. So when I'm like, yo, what should I do? Usually if I say that in any other circumstance, They'd be like, oh, come home, baby. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what's going on. Just come home until we figure it out. But they were just like, oh, no, you're good. You're right where you should be. As a matter of fact, when they said that to me, I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm right where I should be. And I leaned into that ever since that moment. Oh, love that. Shout out to Stook and Diddy. So we are forever grateful (laughs) always to our parents. So I love that you reach back and talk to them. Let me step back even further. I know that you started your foundation in 2019. So it's not like 2020 was the first time you looked out and saw that something needed to be done. It was really intense in 2020. But talk a little bit about how you set up your foundation and more importantly, why you set up the foundation and what were you trying to accomplish then? I'm glad you mentioned that because I've wanted to start my foundation since I was in the league. But if people don't know how the WNBA works, we play in the summer for the WNBA and then we go overseas and play in the winter and the the off season. I'm going to put air quotes around it in Europe. Wait, Um, hold up. There is no off season for a W player. Come on, let's be clear. Let's be clear. Okay, thank you, auntie. And so... (laughs) I didn't have much time and I'm one of the people when I opted out, if I'm going to do something, I want to be able to do it all the way. I want to be all in. So in 2019, that's when I stopped playing overseas and that's when I started my foundation right away. And the reason I started my foundation was because I feel like there's so many things that as athletes we have because we're taught in sports. Like you can't not have it. For instance, discipline. You can't, like athletes have to be a certain level of discipline to survive. And then there's different things like confidence. You have to be confident to be an athlete, teamwork. You have to have to learn how to work well with other people. When you start to think about all the attributes and skill sets that an athlete has, and then you start to think of what's valued in the workplace, it's everything that an athlete already has. And so with my foundation, I wanted to try to help people understand that these skill sets can be taught in certain situations. And so I try to have events that make you work together. I try to have different things that... enables confidence in kids, shows kids that they can do whatever. We have culture camps, MEM camps, with Moments Equal Momentum camps. Last two seasons ago in 2019, to kick off my foundation, we had an event called Let's Go Pro. And for me, it was a big, it was like my staple event because I'm from West Virginia, as we talked about. We don't have any pro sports, no NBA, no WNBA, football, baseball. So a lot of people in West Virginia have never seen a pro sports game live. And so what we did with the foundation is we bust, we chartered a bus of 60 people from West Virginia to Atlanta. We paid for everything, put them up in a hotel, let them go see Lenox Mall, open up their eyes because that's something that I think is important. When people see different cultures and see how other people are living, 
I think you're naturally more empathetic, sympathetic, and you understand things. So I've been on this route before 2020 happened, but when 2020 happened, we had to rev up our engines and get it going. That is for sure. And listen, you have always been in the mix and in the <laughs> middle of everything. You're a point guard, so you're usually leading the charge. But I can remember when you were playing for Minnesota and you're a two-time WNBA champion. I remember being on the court and getting in the layup line and getting yep. a high five from Renee. We got a picture. We do. I can prove it that I was there. It was so much fun. But you have been in the mix of sports and of community engagement for more than a minute. So it sounds like 2020 just took it to a whole nother level. But let's talk about another level because now you are not only college NC2A champion, WNBA times two champion, an all-star in 2011, sixth woman in 20, damn, just all (laughs) kind of accolades. But here's the thing. Now you are a co-owner of a team you played for. Now, everybody's read a little bit about that, but come on, you got to drop the T and tell us what really happened and how that all came to be. So we are so excited about it. Give us us some info. It was a really long process. A lot of people think I just woke up and was like, I want to own the dream and how do I do it? Man, we were trying for so long. and, And when I say trying, everything starts out with a thought. And so I have to give so much credit to my fiance, Serena Grace, because she thinks so big. And when she first said it, I have to be honest, I was like, what? Like it was, that was just my initial first reaction because it's something that you just don't really see done. And she said, as a matter of fact, you want to have an impact on a larger scale, what you need to do. And she's talking to me. I'm like, what? I'm interested. Cause I was like, yeah, I want to help. And she's, you need to be in a position where you can make decisions. And that's just kind of how she put it. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Like the people that are hiring, I'm thinking more in representation matters, fat, like aspects. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. The people that are hiring are the ones that are shifting the culture. And she's, yeah, so who's hiring for the Atlanta dream? And she's, wouldn't that be an owner? And don't you, shouldn't you be there? And then that's when it was just like, what? That's why I have to give her credit because when I first heard it, it took me aback in a sense of people see you differently than you see you. I will say that. And so- we all know that when we look at a photo, you tear yourself down. I look at a photo of myself and I'm like, oh gosh, I hate the way I smiled, my hair. <laughs> everybody will pick apart every little thing about them in the photo. And everybody else will be like, no, you look good, girl. But that's just how we do as humans. So I have to admit that it was a long process of first starting. The biggest part to me was believing that I could do it. That's why I started there because that was when, once I believed that I could do it, I knew I was going to do it. I'm one of those people that I just, I told you I'm routine, but I'm very focused and locked in. So once that was put in my mind, that was what my goals were. And and it was, and there was a lot, there's so many different details that I, you can't really, it was like a, it was an eight month process for me longer. So it was a long process. People know about when I tweeted with LeBron, but that was five months after I had already started. So there was so much going on, but I have to give a shout out to the commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, because she was the one that I hit up and I let her know. I was like, Kathy, I'm actually really serious about becoming an owner of the Atlanta dream. And to let you know how serious I am, I'm about to retire. I had to just let her know because you can't be a current player and be an owner. And as soon as I let her know that she was all in, she was like, I got you. I'll let you know. I got you. And And from there, she was the connector. So shouts to Kathy, shouts to more than a vote, LeBron James's team, because once I put it out there, 
people came and surrounded me and helped me create it. You know what? That is a terrific story. I always had much respect for Serena. Now we got like mad love and respect because she helped you get that engine started. But yes, much respect and props to Commissioner Kathy Engelbert, my successor, and LeBron James. Okay, the king, let's be clear. But it takes a village, right? It takes a whole lot of support, but you had a lot of the confidence and the discipline and the focus. So let's pull on that string for just a little bit because you've made history now as a co-owner, the first player to own a WNBA team. Oftentimes on this podcast, we talk about the skills that you learn in one place that can be deployed in another place, particularly in sports that can be deployed in the traditional workplace and even in the boardroom. Talk a little bit more about all the skills that you garnered from the time you played basketball in the beginning, but certainly in the W, what types of skills and attributes are you bringing to the dream as a co-owner? You're a business owner now in a major way of a professional sports franchise. So talk a little bit about that. Listen, I still write my emails like I'm talking to my teammates. I'll be like, yo, what up squad? All right, we got media day coming up. That's literally how I talk because I bring that same athlete teamwork group work thought process to the office. I don't see why it's any different. Y'all, I just have different teammates and I bring that same energy. So when we had a a, a lit media day, which we did recently, I wrote everyone an email like, oh, I'm turned up over here. Y'all, I let them know the same way I would let my teammates know I'm turned up about a big game. Well, media day is a big day for me. So I'm letting them know I'm turned up about media day. And I think those attributes that you're talking about is reading the room and being a point guard we have to massage egos. We have to figure out, all right, look, I got you. I missed you on that last play, but I got you. And you have to be able to do it all on the fly. And that's the thing that I think that people don't give athletes enough credit for when it comes to the workplace. We have to problem solve and we usually have a 10 second huddle to do it. You might get a timeout where a coach gets you, helps you, but on the court, you got to figure out all the problems on your own. No one's coming to save you while the game is going back and forth. So as I'm running back on defense, I'm like, yo, next time cut through. And then I'm like, you get <laughs> You got to figure it out on the fly. So I think being able to adjust when the Atlanta dream, everyone knows we've had a lot of different movement. We're transitioning. We've only had the team for 60 something days as far as me, Suzanne and Larry are concerned. And so we're having to figure things out on the fly. We got a game coming up Friday. And so May 14th is the launch and we had to be ready. And for me, it wasn't scary because I've had to get ready in a hurry for games. I've had to get ready in a hurry when the refs are like, hey, 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 get out the huddle. Let's go. Delay a game. I've had to figure it out in a hurry before. So when we're against the timeline, I'm really calm in those situations because that's what I'm used to doing. Renee, listen, I've seen you run the floor. I have seen you direct the play and I've seen you hold the ball step back behind the hash mark and take a three and drain it. So I know what you are talking about. But listen, you got the co-ownership thing going on. Yes, you retire, but you got so many other irons in the fire. You're an analyst on Fox for the NBA. You're doing the Take Line podcast, which I had the privilege to be on with you and your own podcast, Remotely Renee. You are just thriving behind the mic. I know you didn't necessarily see yourself as a co-owner, but you put your mind to that and did it. Did you ever see yourself as a live broadcast analyst or as a podcaster? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, I went to UConn for communications. So I always, even when I was younger, 
I always knew that entertainment was in my future, but mm -hmm. I wasn't going to mess up this blessing that I had. And <laughs> basketball was a blessing. And being able to allow basketball to take me all over the world, yeah, I wasn't about to mess that up. And so I was going to play in the WNBA. I was going to travel the globe. And I was going to do everything I could to get the most out of basketball and give the most to basketball. And having said that, I always knew in my mind that my post-basketball career was going to be somewhere on TV, somewhere in entertainment, because I really enjoy making people happy. And so to me, I know that people see TV a certain way, but I see TV as I'm chopping it up with you on air. <laughs> and it's just we're having a conversation there as just opposed to anywhere else. So that's how I treat any of my endeavors, I prayed for it. I can't say that I knew it was going to happen, but I pray for this. So while it's here, that's why I always make sure I don't complain. People always tell me like, you got 24 hours in your day. I'm like, yep, I ain't going to complain because to me, I don't care to be busy and I have to do better about saying no, because I'm like, you have to maintain <laughs> that peace and mindset and then that, but I never want to complain about being too busy because like I said, I prayed for all of this. You are just like thriving everywhere and I love it. You've had so many experiences, so many exposures from growing up in West Virginia to UConn, to the W and now in business, but in multiple places and industry, it's all entertainment. I get that, but it takes a whole lot of skill to figure it out on the fly everywhere. So as you think back over your career thus far because girl you talking about you 34 i'll be 64 soon so i Come got on, you i love it i love it but think back over your career and tell me was there ever a time where you had one perspective and you went through some experience and you came out on the other side and it changed your point of view or how you envisioned something Good yeah. or bad? What kind of experience that you went through? So I got traded mid-season with Seattle. And as everyone knows, that's never a good situation when you already are close with your teammates. You've already started to build that chemistry. And then you get the call that you're getting moved to another team. So I can remember I was actually sick with salmonella poisoning at the time. And I can remember I wasn't practicing with the team. I was in the bed. And someone comes knocking on my door. And I was like, yo, this is weird because they already knew I wasn't going to be practicing. And so they come knocking on my door and I'm like, no, coach knows that I'm, I'm sick. I'm not coming to practice. No, you need to come in. So then I was like, oh, no, I know what that means. And just my thought process, I was all sad and gloom. I was pouting to myself. And I can remember being on the flight from Seattle to Minnesota. And I was just like pretty sick. I'll save you guys the graphic details, but salmonella <laughs> poisoning is no fun. Ooh, so it's was, bad. It's bad. Yeah, I was pretty sick. And I was just doing the whole woe is me thing. And I can remember when I landed, I told myself, I'm gonna give myself the whole flight to pout and be sad. But when I land, Minnesota's excited for me to be there. So I can't go to Minnesota pouting about Seattle. And I can just remember that I knew that was a changing moment for that season because my whole thought process at that point was not for me. It was like, okay, how can I get my stomach, my core back? So I started to do extra workouts after practice at night. So I was practicing with the team in the morning. And then at nighttime, I was working out on the treadmill at home, trying to get my conditioning back. Because when you're an athlete and you take two days off, you can feel it, but much less when you get sick and your body is just not the same. So I can remember that I took all of my like pouting and my sadness and I just made it part of my workout as my fuel. And that year, I ended up having vital part of a championship, my first championship in the WNBA. And I remember thinking back to like, 
my instant thought when I was getting traded, everyone knew Minnesota was a good team, but me being in my sadness, I was more so sad leaving Seattle and the friends I had made there. And I just had to shift my thought process. So I think that moment changed things forever for me in a sense of, I knew it was all mental. That's when I knew everything is mental. Wow. Okay. So most people, when they're thinking about being traded, so most people are not professional athletes. Let's just start there. So you were a professional athlete. You will always be that, even though you are retired, but moving from literally like one team to another, one part of the country to another, your position is the same, but I hear what you're saying that it was in your mind and you recognized that it was an opportunity ultimately. And didn't you do what when a championship we won a championship that year and met prince so it was like that year was a big year for me just because at that point i knew i was never going to be the pouty what was me like i've never been that type but that was like i felt like man if there was ever a chance that i'm allowed to be pouty that was going to be the time (laughs) traded mid-season with salmonella poisoning and then to me that let me know that's not even an excuse anymore so yeah now i just have this no excuses mindset i love that i love that so let's come back to the home city because you're the co-owner and the season is about to kick off and the dream is going to be hot. Talk a little bit about where they're going to play and what's happening with the dream because I can't wait. I got to come. I want to sit in the Hollywood seats. I know I got to buy my tickets. I ain't asking to be hooked up. I'm going to buy the tickets. That's an important part of supporting the W. But talk a little bit about the team and what's happening. Your draft day has happened. You got some fresh legs. Talk about it. Yeah, so draft day, we had a great draft led by our number three pick, Ari McDonald. And then we already have the pieces. Tiffany Hayes is coming back. A lot of people, y'all must have forgot. She's so good. But, you know, sports is the what have you done for me lately. So a lot of people have forgotten how good she is. She's back. We got Courtney Williams. We got Monique Billings, Elizabeth Williams. We have our newcomers and free agency and Tiana Hawkins, Cheyenne Parker, We have Kennedy Carter, who's going to be leading. That was one of our top draft picks before. So it's exciting. We're excited around here. And there is a lot of transition happening. But I think our team understands the opportunity that we have. We'll be at Gateway Center Arena. And we got some seats ready for you. Can't wait. I'll say this because a lot of the fans were asking. We only have a 600 limited fan base right now just with the COVID protocols. And we want to be safe. And we want to do this the right way. So when things do open up, and we are allowed to have people on the Hollywood courtside seats. You will be on the culture cam. We will have your feet on the hardwood, Auntie, because that's part of the business, though. We want people to want to sit courtside like they do at the NBA games. We want to have a celebrity row at our games. And so that's my goal. We're in Atlanta. We have nothing but celebrity and star power here. So I want Atlanta to show up and show out for us. We're going to do that for you. As I think about all the people that are on your team, because you've got veteran leadership like Tiffany and Elizabeth Williams, another dookie, I got to call it out. But (laughs) Tiffany Hayes is a UConn person. So you've got a lot of love there, but you got all these young folk with the fresh legs and the fresh eyes. So to your point about putting it all together and making the chemistry work, Talk a little bit about Atlanta and what kind of support are you getting? Because I'm going to have to reach out and get some people pulled in, not only from a sponsorship perspective, but from a fan base perspective. I don't care about the 600 seats. We got to get on TV. We got to do all of that. We can stream on the app. There's a lot of ways to support the W. So talk about the support you're getting in Atlanta or not, because if you're not, we're going to have to work on this. Yeah, we would love some more support. 
I'm just being brutally honest. We would love some more support and not just fans, but corporate sponsorships. We talked about it. Atlanta is a city that is booming. The The entertainment industry is booming. It's it, There's a lot of filming going on now here because of the different things going on. We know the sports teams. We have every sports team known to man here. We have so many different ways for the city to thrive. So we want that corporate sponsorship love. And that's why I'm so thankful to have a little fairy god auntie sitting on my shoulder because <laughs> you have to be connected. And that's one of the goals is to get connected. I don't think we've been connected before. Just in how things have played out, I think the team was brought here and we were so ingrained into the community. And then somewhere along the lines, it got lost and we got separated from the community. We got separated from our sponsorships. So now this is the rebuild and happy to be a part of the rebuild. It's not a complaint. It's exciting to me. I want people to be excited about what we're doing, how we're going to be morally grounded. We're not just athletes. We have athletes that are standing for something that they voice their opinion. I think that there's so much that if you're a corporation that wants to be inclusive, if you're a corporation that wants to empower women, if you're a corporation that wants to be a part of the new normal, of course you should want to be a part of the Atlanta dream because we have all of that. So auntie, I welcome any help you can have. I have my eye on Delta. I'm just going to, I'm a firm believer in speaking things into existence. So Delta, I got my eye on you. I think that we should be doing something big. I think that there's just so many big corporations that are based here in Atlanta that we should be taken off. Listen, I see what you did there. That is really good. So I'm just so pleased to spend this time with you. I am so proud having watched you just blossom in the W. I only had the privilege of serving as president for three years, but you took it off the chart during my term and now you're taking it off the chart in a whole nother way. So I am so absolutely thrilled to spend time with you here, but I look forward to spending time with you and the dream this season and for many seasons to come. Appreciate you, Renee. Thank you for having me, Auntie. Absolutely. All right, everyone. That was this week's episode of Enlightened. I hope you learned something new and feel inspired to meet any challenge you may be facing in life. If you enjoy the energy we're creating here, subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the Enlightened community for bonus episodes and deeper discussions at lisaborders.us. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. 